Welcome to Hillhurst United Church, the podcast. We're really glad you're here. Whoever you are, wherever you're at, join us on the journey. Let us pray. Spirit, on this beautiful winter day, we pause. We pause our heart and mind and soul, and we open our heart and mind and body that we might hear the right word for this moment in time. Allow us that gift, we pray. Amen. I don't know, those who know me know that I like to ask lots of questions and play lots of games, things like Wordle. I lost 37 minutes this week as I played that game, trying to figure out a five-letter word. If you're bored during this sermon, you're welcome to explore what Wordle is all about. But I do like games, and I like understanding where people are at. And in a meeting, uh, as we were checking in, I asked the question, if you had the opportunity to push the button, uh, like you might say on one of those things called, um, um, what do you call those, digital recorders, if you, if you could push the, word, the, the button rewind, or play or pause or fast forward? Which button would you want to push in your life right now? Some people might say they'd like to push the the rewind button. Go backwards and try to fix something in the past. Go back to a time or a place that was so important to them, they might want to push rewind. Some might want to say they would want to pause, that they're in the right moment, in the right place, in the right space right now, and they would pause. Some would say I would push the play button, that I would just gently walk forward just as we are on the journey, twisting and turning, just as we are, play things as they are. And some would say, oh, I'd want to push that fast forward button as fast as I can, skip three, four, five, six months ahead, and be through all of this mess into a new way of living and being. So if I asked you that question, would you want to push rewind? or play, or pause, or fast forward. I read an article this week in the Globe and Mail by Andre Picard, one of the medical experts during the pandemic, and he had an article that was quite wonderful, and it said, I'm done with COVID is easier said than done. And in the article, he makes the case that all of us are done with the pandemic. All of us are weary. All of us are exhausted. All of us want to be done with it but we're not quite there yet. He would say we have to push the play button, continue the course just as we are. My daughter, Charlotte, who's 11, was really upset one day last week and she literally broke down and she just said, I just wanna go back to the way things were. She might say she would push the rewind button. If you ask me, I'd wanna push the fast forward button as fast as I could. I'd want to push. Let's get through this. Let's get to the new day. Let's get to the new awakening, whatever it is. I'd want to push fast forward. So I ask you, which button would you want to choose? Right now in Spiritual Nurture on Monday evenings, we're studying a book by Tara Brock called Radical Compassion, learning to love yourself and your world with a practice of rain. And you heard in a beautiful sermon last week by Andrea, the beginning of this is recognize, reign, recognize, A, allow, 
I investigate and nurture. She helped us see that recognizing is so important to be awake and conscious to the world around us, to who we are and whose we are in the world. But it's about waking up. And then on this last past Monday evening, we gathered to look at the second letter in RAIN called allow. Allow is to say to yourself, what is here? What is here? And allow that to be here. What is here? Allow it to be here. To allow the questions, the feelings, the wonderings, the scary things and the joyful things to be right here, to allow those feelings to come. Over the next two weeks, we'll look at the next two letters, investigate and nurture. But really what it's about is being present. It's about pushing the pause button, if you will. Allow is to allow yourself to experience the feelings that we so often want to deny or avoid or fear or numb ourselves out. And allow, she says, is to allow these feelings to come as a friend, like a gentle wave, not a tsunami, but a gentle wave in our life. And through her practice of meditation and teaching, she's helping us to understand that allowing these feelings to come provides us with the right opportunity to, to learn and to grow and to accept and to be most fully present. What was amazing on this Monday evening was the 43 people, I think, who showed up, but they were from various places in the world. They were from Guatemala and Phoenix and BC and New Brunswick and Ontario. And on the screen in this beautiful conversation, one to another through both the presentation and breakout rooms, people shared what it was like to allow difficult feelings to come in their life, what it's like to allow them to experience fully the challenge of the pandemic or the life situations they're in. There's something about allowing instead of denying that is so faithful and true in the path of the Christian faith. Now, while Tara Brock is a Buddhist, she would say, and a therapist, she had wonderful lines from all world religions about how this works together, this understanding of allow. There's a few bits of math, which I just love, she offered. And I'll post these. They say, she says, pain plus resistance is suffering. Pain plus resistance is suffering. And in other words, pain plus not allowing is suffering. And then she says, pain plus presence is freedom. Pain plus presence is freedom. You see, everything she is talking about is reminding us that pain in our life is inevitable, but suffering is avoidable. And she's inviting us to this place of allowing all of the difficulties that we face to be present to us as friend, as teacher, as wave that moves us to times of presence. Presence, capital P, I believe is part of all the religious traditions, the way in which we fully allow the presence of God, the presence of the sacred to be among us and with us. Tara Brock talks about how there's a circle and, and the top half is the conscious life. And then the, and below the line is the unconscious life. And she says, so often it's the unconscious life that bites us in the butt. It's the, it's the part of us that when we're not aware of it does damage to us. And we're trying so hard in this course to learn the understanding of being conscious and awake and aware to the feelings that all of us have 
in our bodies, minds, and hearts. Tara Brock is inviting us to conscious living and allowing these feelings to come that we want to push and shove away and deny or numb. She says the truth is to allow, to welcome, to experience in our bodies, in our minds, and in our hearts. This is a really hard thing to get, and it's work, and it's practice. That's why it is a practice. I've shared with you before that this happens to me almost to the minute at 3 a.m. I, I can wake up at 3 a.m., 3 and I'm a minute either side of 3 in the morning. And it's in that moment that I experience what she talks about. I experience this tsunami of fear and anxiety and uncertainty and regret. And it's a swirl. Have you ever noticed this in your mind? You, you swirl around in all these stories, talking yourselves into these crazy places as we feel the anxiety of this pandemic or this life that we're living right now. And this swirl, she said, should be a wave. And how you get it to be a wave, she said, is to be opening and welcoming and allowing of these feelings to come. I'm practicing and I'm failing, but I continue to practice. She's inviting us to allow, to be right here, right now. And in those moments, she invites us to open our heart and mind to allow them to come and be our welcome teacher. These days, I have been so fortunate to have a fabulous uh, spiritual director and therapist. And the combination of spiritual director and therapist is wonderful because in our conversations back and forth, we are learning so much together about who we are as human beings. This past week, my doctor said to me, my therapist, spiritual director, shrink doctor, said to me a beautiful piece of wisdom. He happens to be studying Tara Brock, which is a great synchronicity. But he says that all of us human beings tell ourselves four main stories. And these stories appear to me in the middle of the night. He says we, we begin with a story perhaps of the past. First, the past, we think, oh, I shouldn't have said that, shouldn't have done that. I wish I could go back there. Why did I say that? We tell our stories about the past. He said, or we tell our stories about the future. Oh, I'm, I wonder what it's going to be like. Will I have enough money? Will I, will I be able to retire? Uh, will my kids make it? Will I get through this therapy? Looking to the future. He says, or some people have this experience of, of, of talking stories about others. Oh, it's their fault, their problem, my parents, my workplace. And in a sense of, of looking at others to blame rather than looking at themselves. And then he says, finally, we tell stories about ourselves. Uh, I'm a loser, I'm, I'm a failure, I'm unlovable, I'm a sinner. And what he's suggesting is that these four stories are the four key stories we all tell ourselves, whether it's the past or the future or others or ourselves. We swirl in this tsunami of storytelling to ourselves and sadly it can paralyze us in a trance, paralyze us and feel we can't move forward in our journey. He says, it's the most important learning to help people learn to be present, to be in the presence, to allow these feelings to be our teacher. And he says, what's so wonderful about it is it's inviting people to be their own therapist, to do their own work, to be their own guide to presence or guide to the sacred. The journey is to the presence. 
The journey is to welcome and allow these difficult feelings we all have to welcome them as teacher and friend. In our conversation, he shared with me a beautiful, simple story. He said, said, I was at home one day and my son came running through the door and he burst into tears crying. He had fallen and scraped his knee. And he called the child over and, and knelt down and looked the child in the eye and put his arms around the child and simply held the child and said to the child, what do you need? And the child just simply said, I need to tell you my story about what happened. And he told the story as Adrian held him and loved him. Adrian said afterwards, you know, I think all of us want to be held and heard and loved. And I think that's what faith is, to be held, to be heard, and to be loved. And that's how allow works. It allows ourselves to, to not sit, fix the problem or shove it away, but to be held and heard and loved in life. Well, you know, one of the things about the Bible, our sacred text, that it is all about people who allowed life to happen. It wasn't people shoving it away or running from it like a cow, but being present to it like a buffalo, if you will. Whether you begin at the very first book of the Bible or the very last book, it's about people paying attention to presence, walking into suffering, inviting attention and receiving freedom. Whether it was Moses who wondered whether or not he could be uh, the leader God was calling him to be. When God responds, I will, my name is I am, I will be who I will be. There's a certain presence in that moment that empowers Moses to go forward. Whether it is the relationship between Naomi and Ruth or the prophetic voice of those determined to speak truth to power. Whether it is Mary at Christmas who says, here I am, your beloved servant. Whether it is Paul, the letter writer in the Bible, who says, I am content despite my present persecution in jail. These macro stories speak about people who allow the presence of God to empower their journey in life. But perhaps as a Christian, the most important one, I believe, is the personhood of Jesus. And I began to scratch my head and wonder to myself as I walked around the streets these days, what story did Jesus have that held him and heard him and loved him into being the person he was? And the story that came into my being and my heart was the story of Jesus' baptism. You know this story. You know this story. We've heard it so many times every year. The story of Jesus going to John, the one, the wild one with wild hair and a camel outfit who ate bugs, locusts, and honey. He's the one who baptized Jesus down at the River Jordan. When, when you can just imagine the, the small crowd there as Jesus is dunked under the water and raised up before the people. And as he's raised up, the the story goes, the heavens open and, and the words, you are my beloved child in whom I am well pleased. Jesus hears, you are my beloved child in whom I am well pleased. And the text goes on, Jesus was driven to the desert, to the wilderness immediately. But I wondered to myself, I wondered if Jesus heard those words with his head and his ears and his heart, and you are my beloved child, were the words that Jesus embodied as he entered into his ministry. With all of his doubts and fears and loneliness and anxiety, 
At 30, stepping out and leaving his mom and dad, I wonder if when he said goodbye to Joseph leaving the carpenter's shop, he said to himself as he wondered whether or not he should go, I wonder if Jesus said, you are my beloved child with whom I am well pleased. And he stepped forward. I wondered whether whether when Jesus was in the wilderness, uh, being tempted by Satan, tempted by the powers of being, I wonder whether Jesus in his darkest night said to himself and heard those words, you are my beloved child with whom I am well pleased. And he slept peacefully that night for 40 days and 40 nights. I wonder if Jesus repeated to himself, you are my beloved child with whom I am well pleased. I wonder whether whether Jesus stood in the pulpit, knees shaking for his first sermon, and people said to him, by what authority? Is this Joseph's son who's speaking here? I wonder if Jesus in his question of authority heard those words, you are my beloved child with whom I am well pleased, and that empowered his journey. I wonder when he was at, at the wedding in Cana, when he was having a great time with his friends, when, when his mother comes over and says, the wine's run out, do something about it. I wonder whether Jesus, when he finally got up from the table and went to perform that miracle and he looked at his shaking hands, wondered and wondered and breathed in and said, you are my beloved child with whom I am well pleased. And miracle of miracle wine was poured out. I wonder if he heard those words. I wonder if there were times when Jesus, as scripture says, was lonely and afraid afraid and sought out a lonely place. I wonder as, as he's walking to that lonely place, He looked up to the sky or down to the ground and he heard the words, you are my beloved child with whom I am well pleased. And that brought him peace and relief as he allowed the wave of God's love to wash over of him. I wonder if the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus was ready to throw in the towel and say, there's any way out of this, now's the time to act. I wonder when that night, whether he heard those words, nevertheless, You are my beloved child with whom I am well pleased. And he stepped into the morning that would lead him to the cross. I wonder whether when he faced Pilate in a conversation about what is truth, whether Jesus in the debate with Pilate paused to himself and heard those words in his heart, you are my beloved child with whom I am well pleased. And he stood his ground and continued even to the cross. I wonder whether when Jesus was on the cross, whether he heard that day in the crowd as they watched the pitiful death of someone's crucifixion. I wonder in that difficult, horrific death, Jesus heard again from the heavens, you are my beloved child with whom I am well pleased. And Jesus said, into your hands, I commit my spirit. And then I wonder, I wonder if three days later, the first words that called Jesus out of the cave were these words, you are my beloved child with whom I am well pleased. And death was not the end. And a victory of new life was born. I wonder, I wonder, I wonder if you are my beloved child with whom I am well pleased are the very words that was the story Jesus would tell himself and allow himself to know, to be heard, to be held, and to be loved into new life. Friends, my hope and prayer is this, that in your night, in your dark night, in your difficult days, that you hear these words, 
You are my beloved child of God in whom I am well pleased. And may those sacred words lift you and I to allow the feelings to come, to trust in the presence of God that walks with us. Know this, we are not alone. We live in God's world and that world is grounded in a love that knows no end. May it be so. Thanks be to God. Amen. These days, uh, this last month, um, you may have heard the news that uh, our congregant, uh, Bill Phipps, a former moderator of the United Church, that he and Carolyn have been experiencing the difficulty of the knowledge of the coming of the end of Bill's life. And I, uh, I took it upon myself to want to record Bill, and I've spent uh, over three hours, different sections, three, four times, uh, trying to get the story of what Bill's life's been like. We've, it's been so rich and meaningful uh, to me and I think to them. And uh, one of the things that connects so well to me is the conversation this past week where we were talking about the stories that we tell ourselves about the past and the future, about others and ourselves. And Bill, in the conversation, we talked about our, both Bill and I have a favorite hymn. It's 149 in the Bible, in the United Church Hymnary. It's called, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross by Isaac Watts. It's a new one from 1707. And uh, it's such, got such beautiful, rich imagery. And we talked about how this hymn matters. And Bill said to me, the, the line that matters most to him is this line, Did e'er such love and sorrow meet? or thorns compose so rich a crown. And I said to my love, the next verse, where the, the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small love, so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. And in our conversation, we both nodded and thumbed up that piece that speaks about love and sorrow and the demand of the sorrow of the soul. And Bill said these words that I have permission to share with you. The heart of the Christian gospel in one or two lines comes from that song and it speaks of Good Friday and it reflects that we are not alone. Love is at the center of the universe, the kind of mystery we worship or acknowledge. And so on the crucifixion of Jesus, it is the symbol, the epitome of an expression of how that love is reflected. It's reflected in going and outgoing and the various crucifixions that we, the faithful people, go through to bring love and justice and harmony and community and wholeness to the world. It is demanding. It's a demanding love. It's a love which is at the core, is taking risks and making sacrifices and indeed giving one's life in whatever way that is possible for people to do. That love is at the heart of the story and the heart of the Christian story. So you see, we will have many stories we'll tell ourselves, but as people of faith, we're called to remember the story of love, to hear in our heart and mind and soul, we are indeed beloved children of God. And those words, may those words be the words we tell ourselves so that we are heard and held and loved into a new day. 
May it be so. Amen. Thanks so much for tuning in to Hillhurst United Church, the podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode and are thinking about someone who might enjoy it too, we invite you to send it their way and help the podcast grow. We're really glad you're here and we'd love to know what you thought about today's sermon. Leave us a review in iTunes or send us an email at communications at hillhurstunited.com. We'd love to hear from you.